Hello and welcome to B2B Better. My name is Jason Bradwell, and on each episode, I talk about how companies can use marketing to navigate big moments of change. Whether this is gearing up for a new funding round, launching a new product, pivoting in response to market trends, or sitting on either side of an acquisition, I break down modern-day B2B marketing strategies into actionable advice with guests who've seen it all before. Let me help you be better than boring. Let's go. Today on B2B Better, I'm excited to be joined, very excited to be joined by Christina Garnett, Senior Marketing Manager of Offline Community and Advocacy at HubSpot. How are you doing, Christina? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you coming on. We've been talking about getting this set up for a long time and so long, in fact, I think, you know, we, we first started talking way back at the beginning of the pandemic when I first got back onto Twitter after a five-year hiatus. And I know you get this all the time, but you were such a, you you, you were so welcoming to me into, into the Twitter community and you've been such a force of nature and really growing that kind of marketing Twitter community. So, you know, let me extend my thanks to you on behalf of everybody you're such a great person oh thank you no I hope I hope I can make Twitter a lot nicer there's there's some dark sides of every type of social but there's there's some really lovely people on Twitter once you find them so if I get to introduce those people so you have a better experience that's perfect yeah absolutely just play with that mute button and eventually you'll get there yeah 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 mute mute over block block you have to do something pretty bad for me to block you Really? What's the current, what's the kind of threshold there of when you're going to block someone? When it becomes obvious that it's just irredeemable, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm going to continue to see that person's content in my feed some way or somehow. And the only way to cleanse, the only way to like, literally like pick you up, put you somewhere else. So I don't have to see it is to block. So I block very few people, yeah. but when I do, it's just, just like, no, we're, we're done. That door is closed forever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't unblock. <laughs> <laughs> Once you're on that list, you are not coming off of it. No, no, it's yeah. done after that. It, it's a fine line to draw because, you know, I, I think a lot about making sure that I keep a variety of opinions in my feed, because I think yes. if you try and customize too much, like play with that, pu- that mute button a bit too much, then it just becomes a little bit of an echo chamber. And I'm only kind Very of hearing much. the opinions and thoughts of people, you know, sound like me. So you've got to keep open an open mind. And I think encourage that diversity of opinion. But as you say, there are just some people who are irredeemable. And uh, if mm-hmm. you can't see eye to eye on anything and they're aggravating, then probably blocking is the best way forward. Yeah. I find that like, I love discourse. I love being able to like, if you can challenge me and make me think about something in a different way, that's a great thing. Mm. My problem with social in general is we, because it's online and because you can hide behind avatars and handles and things like that, there's this loss of accountability. And so you feel like you can actually be a troll and attack people. Like I've gotten death threats on Twitter. I've Mm. gotten, I've gotten really cruel comments on Twitter and I know that those are not my people, but then again, if there are people who want to disagree with me and they can disagree, like they can prove me wrong. Mm. They can, they can like completely show me how I'm getting things wrong. But as long as they're respectful about it, I encourage that because we need that dialogue. We need to make sure that there's not echo chambers when you, I think echo chambers can be dangerous. So I completely agree. I'm very, I'm very judicious about how, like if I block and if I mute and if it seems like your entire purpose is to ruin someone's day, that's a mute. We're good. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need, I don't need to be fodder for you. 
I find also with blocking too, that you need to be judicious because some people find it as a trophy. They can't wait for you to block, like they'll poke you until you block them. And then their next content piece will be a picture of how you block them. And so it has to be something where like, I don't mind if you make content out of it. And it's just like, no, actually I I block very few people and I blocked you because blank. It says more about you than it does about me. So things like that. Fortunately, as we said at the beginning of this, there are so many great people on Twitter. So lovely people. Some of my dearest friends are on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you, again, you've done such a great job in bringing everyone together and playing a role in bringing everyone together. And, uh, you know, it kind of segues nicely into what we're here Mm -hmm. to talk about today, which is community, of which, you know, you are a huge fountain of knowledge. (laughs) Thank Um, you. (laughs) Tell me, what what I'm kind of interested in in learning from you about is how community scales with with a business because yeah. you know to me it feels like there is a community play for any kind of business whether you are mm. a one or two person startup all the way up to you know a, a fortune um 100 kind of enterprise organization not all community is is built equal and you know you with your experience having worked at all different kinds of companies from mm-hmm. kind of small startups to scale ups and now at hubspot which obviously is a b2b behemoth you know you've seen uh, a community from a lot of different angles so let's start here what do you think a company can expect in in terms of how a community will change as the business grows what does it look like in a young early stage startup what does it look like at a kind of more established um, organization at a startup you're probably the best way to frame it is to if you are a startup and you're talking about you have like all your decks you have all your things. I want you to go through and everywhere you say customer, I want you to change that to community member. And by changing those words, you're going to change the lens and you're going to integrate them in your process the way that you would if they were a customer. We already naturally talk about how we need to scale from a, from a customer perspective. And that's essentially if you're doing it from the ground up, you're doing it from a community lens. So one of the first things I would do is if you, let's say you're even pitching a startup, you haven't, it's not even done. Like it's, Mm. it's not even launched. You're probably going to do a lot of research. You're probably going to be doing a lot of user interviews. You're going to be determining if you even have product market fit. Those are seeds. Those are seeds for a potential community. Those are people who are going to give you ideas. Those are people who are going to give you validation. Those are people who are going to give you roadblocks. Those are people who are going to essentially be with you in the very beginning to let you know if what you have is even viable. Now, now you're a startup you have your minimum viable product. You're starting to put it out in the, in the open. You're starting to see if it has legs, would someone pay for this? If so, what would they pay for this? What do we need to do on the roadmap to continue to scale this? You start getting customers. Great. Create a customer advisory board. Now you can start picking the key voices. And so that voice of the customer, that community piece is what you're slowly building. So now you have the small group of people that you can foster relationships with. A lot of the work that we do with customers to business, if you empower them to be customer to customer and customer to business, just by adding that additional element you're turning the customer efforts you're already doing that you already have planned into a community. 
from a small level all the way up. So what can you do with these people to make them feel empowered to connect with each other? Let's say that you have a startup for, let's say a SaaS product, and it helps people automate something. Super general, super basic. What sort of customers need that kind of automation? What sort of questions would they want to ask other peers that they may not be able to ask someone in their team because no one else does that work? Or what sort of knowledge would they want to learn from each other or learn together in order to be able to be a part of that? Instead of thinking, how can our product empower these people? Think, how can we as a brand give them the power to do something and the tools to do it? Now what you're doing is you're empowering them on two levels. You start off with how can they help each other? How can they build? How can we give them resources? How can we help them grow individually while we give them this product, this tool to do that? So now we are benefiting them on two different levels. That's a differentiator. My competitors could have a very similar product but they don't necessarily have that, that other piece of empowerment, that connectivity, that human connectivity that we're providing. That's a moat. Now I can defend the work that we're doing as we're growing, as we're getting new features, as we're getting feedback loops. And so startup phase, one of the first things I would do and you're starting to get customers is how can we plant the seeds for a customer advisory board? And what can I do besides get their opinion? How can I improve them? How can I make them better at their job? Like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How can I help them from an esteem and a self-actualization level? So I'm not just giving them the tool and the means to do something. I'm also giving them the resources from a completely different level to be better. That creates connection and brand affinity that you can't purchase. When people talk about HubSpot Academy, there are people who use our competitors, but they have HubSpot Academy certs. Mm. They love HubSpot Academy because it's empowered them. It's democratized education and learning to the point where they understand that they're being empowered to get a better job. I, I would love to learn about marketing, but I don't know where to start and I don't have a lot of money. Google search, I find HubSpot Academy and I start learning about inbound marketing or I find, I learn about something else. I learn about email marketing or content marketing. That is empowerment. Whether I use that product or not, it's great, but that is giving me something that I can now grow. And when I think about the growth in our careers and I think about the growth and, and the impact that we're creating, it all started with that little seed of empowerment, that little seed of we're going to give you the resources to better yourself and to, and to start or grow your career. And if you want to use our tools in addition to that, to even further escalate, amazing. But if not, you still have this. And I think that that's what startups need to be thinking about is what are you already doing? And then what else can you provide to really up that level? What does, what does individual impact look like with the customers that you're talking to? You already know, you've already broken down. You already have decks on, if they use this tool, this is what they get. I need another slide in that deck that says, what do they get by being a part of us? What does their connection with us also give them besides whatever that SaaS product does? When we're talking about a 
customer advisory board. Mm-hmm. What is that? What does the makeup of that look like for someone who's listening to this podcast and, you know, they're nodding their heads and they're saying, absolutely, you know, we need to set this up early and this is something that we can see scaling as the business mm-hmm. grows. And it's a kind of uh, self-fulfilling cycle. The more value we can put out there, you know, the more interest we'll get in the brand, the more word of mouth and brand affinity there's going to be in the market, which is very much in line with how B2B buyers buy today. But mm-hmm. I've never done a customer advisory mm-hmm. committee. What does that look like? You know, what would you say to them? I would talk to your sales team. I talk to your CSMs, whoever is close to who, whoever are the people who are closest to those customers and say, can you tell me the people who love our product the most, the people who absolutely love it? And then can you tell me the people who use it the most? Those are not necessarily the same. Mm-hmm. You could be a power user and hate it. And then who are the people who are the most unhappy, who are always raising their hand to tell you what's wrong? The thing is, is that in same way that you don't want an echo chamber, you don't want to, you don't want a cab that's an echo chamber either. The thing is, is that there's gold everywhere. The people who love it, you're going to be able to know exactly how they're using it the most. You're going to be able to understand what they love about it. And if they have anything negative to say, you're going to hold on to that really strongly because you know, they're not complaining to complain. They genuinely love this product, but they know nothing's perfect and they want to improve it. The people who are the power users, they are probably going to tell you things that you didn't even realize you could use the tool for. (laughs) They probably know the tech stack and that it can integrate with better than you do. And they're going to tell you how you could make their day easier, how you can make them have to do less. They'll give you opportunities to say, I love this, but if it integrated with this tool, it would cut my time in half. Or if I was able to do this, it would make reporting significantly easier or more accurate, anything like that. And then the people who hate it look for patterns. Because if one person likes to shake their fist at the sky, it may not mean anything. But if you see a group of people shaking your fist at the sky, you're probably going to look at the sky to figure out why they're yelling at something. (laughs) There's a pattern. And if you see that pattern and you can see it on a small scale, chances are you can do more research and find it on a larger scale. So all of those three individual customer personas are going to be able to give you insight into how you can improve it. So that's great. That gives you ideas. That gives you R&D. And a lot of times, especially the power users, they'll not only tell you what's wrong, they'll tell you how they would fix it. Like they don't normally come with, with with problems. They go with problems and solutions. They'll give you ideas all day long. And that's what I love about the ideas forum with HubSpot is it's filled with people saying like, Hey, I love it. Like I'm not mad, but I need this, Mm. this exactly. And here's how I would do it. And why can't we do it this way? And so they're doing that lift for you. That's part of it. Now imagine, imagine you get to work with a startup product that you like, it's great. Nothing special, but it's great. It does its job. And you start becoming a part of it and you start to tell them what you'd like to see. And they start ideating and creating and implementing what you suggested. Now you have this sense of ownership. Now, when you think now, every time you do something that is using a feature or a shortcut that you asked for, this is happening because of me. This is happening because I said this. 
it it's funny That's powerful it is, and and I can kind of draw a real life example to what you're saying because you very kindly offered me a place in a focus group for HubSpot to talk yeah. about some of your marketing and advertising, um, mm-hmm. and around the campaign um, featuring um, Catherine ha- Catherine Hain playing playing the pirate, and yeah. you know I thought it was a great campaign. I love the creative. I love Catherine. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the ads, like in in the wild, I saw them on YouTube, and you know they started coming up in my Instagram feed and stuff like that. I was like, I I brought that here. Like I brought that to market. I played a very small role. Like I gave a little bit of little little bit of feedback, but I feel like I, I feel that ownership over it. And I love HubSpot yeah. as a brand, as you know, so many people do. But it really it really kind of continues to cement that connection that I have with HubSpot because I feel like I'm part of the company's success which in turn is feeding my success as a marketing Mm -hmm. professional exactly and that's and that's what you're doing and and as you're scaling those efforts the 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 thing with scale it's just like anything else the way you'd scale community is is the same challenge is the same challenge it would be if you had to scale a marketing campaign or you had to scale like an email workflow how can you automate it for scale but keep it human make it feel personal. And what that does and what that is, is you have to have at least one person whose entire job is to fight for the voice of the customer and to fight for the human side of that. And in my role, I've really fought to be that person for our advocates to say, here's what we can automate and here's what we can't. Here is what has to still come from me or from someone else, but it has to come from a person. It can't come from a text message. It can't come from a workflow. There has to be some pieces that still feel human. And then you have to decide what can be automated for efficiency, what can be automated for scale, because you need that, you need that connectivity. You need that human to human. And people can tell. That's why I don't like canned responses. Like I hate canned responses with my entire soul because the internet's been around for a while. We've all been on social for years. You know, a canned response when you get one and it never hits the way you want. Mm. It always reads like copied and pasted this. It took you two seconds. There's probably legal jargon. I'd just rather you talk to me. But that's the thing. It's you've, you've automated communication and automating communication, especially when people are hyper happy or hyper angry, it's never a good move because what you're going to do is you're going to drop their emotion immediately. If they're happy, they're going to be just a little less happy. If they're angry, they're going to be even angrier. (laughs) They're going to be a little bit more negative. What you're doing is by dropping the humanity, you're dropping that emotion in a bad way. And so as you scale, And like, if you go for a startup, you do a cab, but you would also do champions programs. If you have a community, who are the people whose advocacy is internalized? They, they might have a Twitter, but they may not necessarily want to talk about your brand on Twitter, but they would love to answer questions in your community. They should still be treated like an advocate. They should still just be as beloved as someone who's talking about you on LinkedIn or Reddit. It's just their advocacy is internalized. And so then you could have social you could have social advocates, you could have external community advocates, people who are in channels that the brand could never enter, but they're going to ask, they're going to answer questions. They're going to help people. I think it's just really important when you're thinking about building community and building advocacy 
you need to make sure that there are multiple ways for people to raise their hand. Not everyone loves something the same way. And if you ask them, if you ask everybody, you'd be like, the only way for to love us is to do a customer story. Well, what if I'm the biggest fan you have, but I don't have anything that yet that's a, that's strong enough metrics that I would consider something worthy of a, of a case study. Or what if you only want people to talk about you on Twitter, but I hate Twitter. I mean, obviously I don't, but you know what I'm saying? You have to, you have to provide multiple opportunities for people to engage because community is a human experience and it's an experiment every day. The, the HubSpot community is amazing, but depending on what happens on the news or depending on if there's a new feature launch, the behavior inside of a community is going to be different every single day. And people are bringing variables to the table you don't know about. You could have a customer who's incredibly angry with you and you don't understand why they're so angry, but they might've just fought with their spouse before they got on a call with you. They might've just learned that someone very near and dear to them is sick. You don't know. And you only know if they tell you, you have all of these humans trying to communicate with each other, each of them trying to get what they need. Either I need this fixed or I need to get my job done for the day. And they're all just trying to finish the week. They're all just trying to get to the weekend, to get to their next vacation, to do something that they would much rather do. And you have to be there for them, knowing the variables and not knowing the variables. And so that's uh, like, if anyone, if anyone gets anything from this, it's, it's a human experiment and it changes and it's constantly changing. And so you have to come from this place of compassion and empathy and feel like maybe you're just complaining to complain, but I'm still going to listen to you. I'm still going to figure out, okay, out of everything you're saying, what is, what is wrong? What is, is, is there anything I can do to help? And don't be afraid to thank people. If someone's find something, like they find a bug or something in the community and they bring it up to my tip, thank you so much for sharing. We're going to work on that for you. I'm not going to be like, ugh, okay, fine. Like, just thanks. I don't know what I don't know. And now we'll go fix that for you. So. I interviewed Sarah Ott a couple of mm-hmm. weeks ago, and we were talking a lot about community as well. And mm-hmm. I, I asked her a question about the kind of person who can most effectively run community programs. Like what are some of the mm-hmm. kind of attributes um, someone should be looking at when they're hiring a community manager? And my specific question was, you know, can community managers, are community managers, are the best community managers are, are extroverts, you know, to which her response was, and you're shaking your head too. No. Absolutely, absolutely not. I'd love so, to get your take on it as well. Yeah, I would say the best person for a community manager is the best person to be a host at a party at a dinner party. Yes, you can be bubbly. Yes, you can invite everyone in, but you're never the main character. You have to let other people shine. You have to be willing to be selfless and to understand that your job is to make other people's priorities your priority. So if someone's having a bad day, you need to not only be able to recognize it, but you need to have a willingness to want to make it better. You need to be able to read the room. That's why introverts tend to be better because introverts tend to naturally read the room. Mm. They're going to naturally go in the room and they're going to, whether they realize it or not, they're going to scan the room for their people. 
They're going to scan the room for the people who are going to suck their energy. They're going to scan the room for the people that they know who will give them energy. They're going to scan the room for the conversations that they can be a part of or not. I like my husband jokes about this all the time. He can, he's, he's watched me do it. He's like, you're just gonna, you're going to know everything in the room within five minutes. And I was like, I know exactly what's happening. I can spot the energy of like, that's a conversation I don't want to go near. That's a conversation that's going great. That's where all the fun people are. That person feels left out. Like you can spot it. And an introvert will have that. An extrovert wants to go in and like, let's just get the party started. Like they're the fun person in the room. They're not necessarily the host. And so I would say, I'm not saying extroverts can't be community managers. They absolutely can. But you have to give that, you have to give up your part on the stage. You have to be willing to put other people up there in your place and make sure that they're okay and, and, and watch them be successful and know that their success is your success. Do you have any other tips or thoughts around how to scale communities as the business grows without sacrificing on that, on that quality factor? Is it just a case of just throwing more and more people at it? Or are there any other kind of mechanisms or strategies or kind of ways of working that can allow a business to, to, to grow that community without sacrificing on the quality of it. Yes, probably the best strategy that I've, that I've seen. And, and I use it for our advocacy program too, is as you're growing on a macro level, you have to create micro opportunities. So think about it this way. You go to a really great party. It's fantastic. Energy's great. Music's awesome. I can, I can listen to music and I can still hear my friends talking to me. If I multiply that by five, now it's too much. Mm. Now there's too many people. Now the entire energy's uh, all the energy is different. So now what I'm probably going to do is and be like, hey, do y'all want to go over here? We'll just go in this room. A lot of what we naturally do in those kind of scenarios are the things that community managers realize they need to do as a tactic. So as you're scaling the macro, the larger umbrella community, find out what micro communities that you can create because as it's growing, as it's getting bigger, it's going to lose that intimacy. It just is. There's no way like Virginia Tech football, I can be in a stadium of 60,000 people and that macro experience is amazing. But when I, when someone scores on the field, I don't high five all 60,000 people. I'm going to celebrate (laughs) with like the six, seven people around me. So I have this micro community of friends and family that came to the game with me. Yes, we're all excited. Yes, we're pumped. But those are the people that I'm high-fiving, I'm hugging, I'm cheering, I'm like toasting with, like those are my people. It's the same way in a community. As it's scaling on this larger macro level, how can you break it down into micro pieces? How can you break it down by persona group so that, yes, I can be in this bigger room, but I need to find my people. Okay, well, in the HubSpot community, where are my people? Oh, they're in that micro group. I'll go there. And then I can have conversations that don't feel overwhelming, where the forum is just like wrapped in content I'll never be able to get through. And I don't know where to jump in. I'm going to go to a smaller space where I believe my people are by how they self-identify and how I self-identify. And I'm going to be able to have the same intimate conversations that were valuable to me when the whole community was in earlier stages. 
So if you really want that, that human intimacy thing, it's build the big while figuring out how you can specifically and strategically build the small within it. That makes absolute sense. Does that require then kind of, you know, dedicated community managers to build and focus on those micro communities within, within the more macro picture, or Mm -hmm. is it something that should still be managed and and thought about at, at the top level? It really depends on how many people and it depends on what those persona groups are. So for example, let's say that you're a developer and you want to be in the HubSpot community. You can be in the grand macro version, but there's also a developer Slack that you can be a part of and you have groups that you can be a part of. And there are people who are specific like subject matter experts that are now able to do that. So now you have almost like that T-shape marketer. Mm -hmm. You have like a T-shape community manager. So it's like, I'm a community manager, but my specialty is in dev or I'm a community manager, but my specialization is in social. So now you have the community manager, but you have a community manager that can talk the talk with you, that can walk the walk with you. That when you say I have this problem, doesn't like glaze over, Mm. like they have no idea. Cause now like, that's the other thing too. The more niche you get, the more they're going to need to trust that community manager that they have their back and that they understand you need to get it quote unquote. Yeah. So as you're building, what I would think is head of community, director, community, VP of community, it's like marketing. There's titles for everything. Of course. Have the macro, have the micro. And then do you have like a product team? Do you have subject matter experts that are already on your team that could either prep the community managers or want to be in those, in those communities to be able to answer questions, get support, whatever that looks like. And then each of those like niche groups, that's what they're going to be looking for. So now it's their people. Mm-hmm. And that community manager is now part of their people. I know who to talk to. I know who to ask questions for. I know that they get it. I know that they understand that they're going to advocate for me, that if I have a problem that they can't answer, they know who to send it to, to get it resolved. And it just becomes this ongoing trust exercise. And you don't trust somebody if you don't think they understand what you're talking about. And I guess there's something also to be said around not every community manager needs to be employed by that company, right? If you can find people within that community who just love being there. Like I'm part of, uh, is it, what's it called? It's called Rand Slack Group. And I think he's Mm -hmm. a former apple early stage apple employee it's like twenty thousand people or something in that slack group and they've got some they've got different different slack channels for everything kind of you know blockchain coffee marketing Mm -hmm. founders beer you know whatever Mm -hmm. and you know i'll kind of dip in and out of these different channels based on my interest and they'll you'll notice kind of like two or three individuals that are like responding to every single question they're clearly not employed by rand but they're just in that community and they love talking about their area of expertise and they love doing that in in the slack group and i don't know if they've been kind of you know handpicked or they've been incentivized to do that or if they're just doing it off their own back but a great example of micro community managers that mm-hmm. aren't employed by the organization absolutely and those can be your champions or you could do like reddit has gone the gamut through this but creating a moderator program you want to talk about giving ownership imagine the people who are the biggest champions who are who are always raising their hand, who want to be a bigger part of the community and saying, hey, we'd love to have you be a part of this. You can be a moderator. We'll train you on what to do. We'll give you the resources that you need. 
we'll give you the, the access that you would need in order to moderate and you're able to go. And that's just one more way. Like we talk about, especially with brand affinity, we're all slowly trying to get closer and closer to the VIP. We want access. And that's what I found with our, with our hub fans is they have all the swag pieces and swag's great, but you want something deeper. You want to be able, I, I want to be able to do a focus group. Or I want to be able to talk to the product team about something I'd like, or I want to be able to talk to Dharmesh, like whatever that looks like. Access is incredibly important. So imagine if you're building this cohesive community, you have these people who are incredibly passionate, incredibly knowledgeable, want to help, and you set up a structured program to let them be a part of that. Now they feel like they're an even deeper piece of the community and the company at large. That's love. That's connectivity. That's ownership. That's empowerment. That's incredibly, like if you're thinking about how you can scale and how you want to do this in a really holistic way, look for the most passionate people in the room and talk to them, interview them. How would you like to participate? How would you like to work with us? How would you like to participate? What role would you like to play in the community? People will volunteer for things that you never thought they would have because they're so deeply passionate about it. They, they want to be deeper. Like their whole thing is like, I want more. So ask them what they'd like to have and see if that's something that that could be another program you could create, or maybe it's just a deeper level of a champions program, but yeah, like volunteer moderators, especially if you like literally go all over Twitter, go all over Reddit, look and see the, the challenges that Reddit's already dealt with like the manual for like the risks and the challenges and the, the hills and the turmoil, it's all there. Mm. So you can, you already have a list of things to avoid and then you can start building that program up. It's an, it's, it's such a great way for someone to feel special. And you think, I always think like, when I think about the opportunities that we give to somebody, I don't think would they brag about this on social? My thing is, would they put this on their resume? Would they put this on LinkedIn? If they would, then that's definitely like a higher level of opportunity. This isn't like, hey, thanks for the swag. I'm going to put it on Twitter and Instagram and like, we'll call it a day. This is something that has permanence. So if they're putting it on their LinkedIn profile or they're putting it on their resume, it's creating permanence. They, they want to imprint, mark the relationship they have with the brand. That's for me, it's how can I make them feel special? What would make them give permanence to the opportunity? Let's not underestimate the power of swag though, because I've, I've got a HubSpot hoodie <laughs> and I wear it every single week. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we love, we, we, we love a hoodie. We love yeah. a Yeti. We love, we love all the things. Yeah. But I think about like the serotonin that goes with that. Like mm. if I gave, if I gave you a hoodie, and then in two months from now, I'll give you another hoodie. You'd be like, this is amazing. This is great. If I keep giving you a hoodie, each successive hoodie means less and less and less to you. Yeah. It's just what we do. There has, just as you would scale community, you need to scale delight mm. because you never get the same amount of dopamine that you get that first time that you give somebody something. And that's what you're chasing. And opportunities are great because there is no quantifiable value like if it's a hoodie i'd be like thank you for my like thank you for my 30 dollars hoodie or it's a sticker thank you for my 50 cent sticker <laughs> but if it's like you're in a hubspot academy certification like that's 
priceless. Well, it goes back to your earlier point about empowering your customers mm -hmm. to 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 be better and to do better. We're yeah. all trying to improve ourselves professionally and personally. And mm. you know, I, I've done a bunch of HubSpot courses, and I've done them. You know, it's it's time out of it's time I'm taking away from other things that I could be doing. It's either time I could be spending on doing more episodes of this podcast or going out for a run or something like that. But no, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to do this course because at the end of it, I'm going to know more and I'm going to have a badge to show that I've, I know more. And whatever opportunity locks with me in the future will have been gained because I took the time to to do it. So it's it makes absolute sense and you know if you keep trying to scale the swag eventually you'll be giving away the entire company it's like a pyramid true. scheme <laughs> yeah no very true i did a i did a presentation yesterday about community market fit versus product market fit and with product market fit it's very much that venn diagram of market and then the features and then the price and so you need to have this balancing act of have we set the price at such a level that it's worth the demand and it's they'll willingly give us the purse will willingly give us their wallet if community it's time which is what you're talking about it's there are so many people creating communities and so many people who already have established communities every time you're having someone enter or come back they are investing time with you and so whether they realize it or not is this worth my time and if you're not providing value and that's the thing, like the brand can give things, but then you also have to facilitate so that the community can give itself things. So if you have moderators or champions or people who are able to ask questions and, and create an ecosystem where people feel safe enough to ask questions, you could have a thriving community. I go in there, I ask a question and I feel like an idiot. I'm not coming back. Hmm. It's not worth the investment for me to get my answer if I feel demeaned and condescended to when I'm in there. Or... If I go in there and I don't find out what I need, or I go in there and my people aren't there, there's this really strong connection between what the community actually is giving for value. And so there's, there's really two models for me. There is the proximity to the brand or the org that's created this, this community and what they can provide for you, or a country club model, which is it's because of the power of the people who are in there. I want to be in this community because so-and-so is in here or VPs of so-and-so are in here. And the best communities do both. And that's what we strive to do with HubSpot. You're going to have amazing people in the community, practitioners, power users, part, partners, customers, but you're also going to have the brand who's in there, who's, who's giving you opportunities, who's sharing resources and knowledge with you. And so it really is this really, really fine line of a balancing act. Christina, before we finish up, I want to pick your brains on one final question, which yeah. is anyone who's sitting here listening to this podcast um, thinking, I want to do something different, you know, this week. I, I really want to put into, I want to put into play something that's going to turbocharge my community efforts. What's something that they can do to improve the, the experience of the members within their community? I would look at how they communicate and look at what you can do to facilitate communication. A lot of people who, a lot of people who are in community, one of the main KPIs that they have to like essentially chase is engagement. If you work your way backwards and you reverse engineer from whatever your KPI is and you walk it back 
to the voice of the customer, the voice of the community member, you will find out how to fix things. So if you want to know how to create more engagement, then you need people to talk to each other. Great. How are they currently talking to each other? Is, are they talking to each other in DMs? Are they talking to each other publicly? Where are the biggest conversations happening? Where is there absolutely no engagement? And then work your way back. What's different between where they're talking and where they're not talking? What's different between how they talk publicly and how they talk in DM? It could be based on how easy it is to communicate. It could be based off of the friction. It could be based, like I did a tweet yesterday talking about this because I, I keep looking at all these community platforms and people wonder why so many people use Slack. And it's so easy why. It's easy to talk from one to one and one to many. And it's easy to navigate. Most people understand how to use Slack. Whether they love it or hate it, they understand how to use it. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a learning curve. So you're not going to feel stupid. You probably already use it for work. So you probably already have an account set up. And then it's really easy to talk. So many people want all these bells and whistles. And then they're like, why don't we have engagement? It's like, because you did not focus on how they communicate. Mm -hmm. If you focus on how they communicate and think about how can we make that easier, more agile, and you do that work that will facilitate not only your communication with them, but their communication with each other. And once they realize that's possible, then your engagement numbers will go up. Christina, this has been a masterclass in scaling Thanks. communities. <laughs> it's It's been honestly fantastic. You've given me so much to think about. And um, I'm sure that the listeners of this podcast are going to take away a lot of value from the last 35 minutes. Two final questions before I let you go. I always ask my guests for a recommendation on who I should interview next on B2B mm-hmm. Better. Who do you have in mind for me? If you really want like a really thoughtful approach to content, and I don't know if you've already... I don't know if you've already um, interviewed her, but if you haven't, you should. Chi Thickrell. You know, I actually interviewed Chi. The second one, but I love Chi. Yeah, well, no, I mean, who doesn't, right? I interviewed her like a year and a half ago, it feels like now. I mean, really Maybe you need to redo. Maybe I do because she's gone like really, she, she's, she's been she's on fire. Up. Yeah, she really has. She's in LA now, I think, right? She is in LA. Yeah. yeah. I love her to pieces. I love her content. The other person I would say is Jenny Lee Fowler from MIT. She's the director of social strategy. Those are my girls. Those are those are the sisters that Twitter gave me. I love both of them dearly. And they're both absolutely brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. So I would I would vote for both of them because I think some of the best, some of the best learnings that B2B marketers can learn is when they look outside of B2B. Mm-hmm. And so I think from Chi's perspective and from Jenny's perspective and how they see things from higher ed, and then also from like a content strategy perspective. I think it's I think it's really refreshing. Absolutely. They are two superstars and and Jenny and I actually spoke a couple of weeks ago just having a catch up, you know, cuz we 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 hadn't spoken I love for her. about yeah, she's I love her to pieces. Awesome. Yeah. It was like one of the best hours I had in in the month of March. So I will definitely be hitting her up and definitely be reconnecting with she as well. Christina, not that people need to know, but where where can they <laughs> where can they learn more about you? Where can they find you? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm that Christina D across social. My LinkedIn, just search Christina Garnett. You'll find me. My Instagram is just nature pictures. So don't, don't be shocked if there's nothing, nothing exciting there. Twitter, really sarcastic. If you love Marvel, if you love marketing, if you love community, come follow me over there on, on um, Twitter and say hi to marketing Twitter and I'll, I'll introduce you to some people. Absolutely. Well, I'll drop all the links to your social profiles in the description of this episode, but otherwise, Christina, thank you so much. This has been awesome. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week.